Well, a couple things uh, I want to highlight that are coming up. Uh, we have our, as Lars mentioned and Janelle in the video, we have the unity worship coming up next Sunday evening. And that's something that we are deeply passionate about as a church family to uh, care about diversity and bringing people together. So there's a sign-up sheet going around, I believe, uh, to sign up for that. We need uh, 10 people to bring uh, some sort of food item that'll feed 10 to 15 people. That's a little vague, but we've been asked to do like a, a third of the food. They're expecting around 300 people. They want us to do a third of that food. So, and you can choose, it can be a dessert, it can be an appetizer, whatever it is that you want to do, but that she is going around and we deeply care about that. So I hope you can participate. You can bring that to worship next Sunday morning, or if you're coming to the event, you can just bring it straight to the event. We will have people leaving from here at 4 p.m. next Sunday night, but this is Always, I just can't say how awesome this night is whenever we get together, and it is such a blessing and so encouraging and uplifting, so make time for it. It's just going to be a wonderful time. It'll probably be done around 8 p.m. next Sunday night, but you will be blessed if you take the time to make that happen. Uh, secondly, I want to again encourage people to come and join us tonight at 4. We just love to have fun together. If you haven't played Nine Square before, it is an extremely addicting game. Uh, and it's really, really fun. It's, it's a blast. We're also, we have our, our church bounce house that we own for the kids. So we'd love to have anybody come and join us. We'll have some finger foods uh, this evening at 4. And if you're terrible at Nintendo Switch, you're probably a little better than me because uh, I'm not really good either. But uh, you're just welcome to come and enjoy being together. It's a great time for us. Let your AC, take a rest and come join us at 4 p.m. Finally, I want to mention something that's exciting next Sunday. Uh, Jim Settlemeyer and Teresa, as you might know, went recently to Nairobi to spend some time with uh, his son Chris and his wife Crystal and their son Eli. And he just got a chance to just be kind of on the ground with Chris and seeing the work that he and Crystal uh, do there. So next Sunday during the sermon time, Jim's going to share about that time and kind of give you a little bit of like a day in the life. What does it look like for Chris and Crystal to be doing uh, ministry there? And then he's just going to kind of go into some particulars about the organization and what they're doing. I know that for me, one of the reasons uh, that I'm so proud of this church is over the last three years, we've given over $100,000 to Chris and Crystal to support the awesome work that they are doing in Nairobi. And it really is fantastic. And so I hope that you can uh, be part of that because they do come back and share. Uh, they'll be back in about a year or so, but it's hard to brag about yourself like when you're doing that. But uh, Jim's going to get a chance to brag on his son and the awesome work uh, that they're doing and that we're all a part of. It's one of the poorest parts of the world and we get to just help participate in that ministry. So you're going to want to be here next Sunday as Jim shares about that. Uh, for today, though, we're going to be continuing our series uh, through 1 John. If you want to turn to 1 John chapter 3, we're going to be looking, starting in verse 11. And yeah, go ahead and pass those sign-up sheets around. It doesn't bother me. Uh, I'd love to have people involved in helping with, with that ministry that we're doing uh, with the Touch Project and then next week uh, with the Unity Worship as well. So we've been studying 1 John uh, for a couple months now, and it's a book that just kind of continues to center on themes that I think are, are really important. We've talked about how it's likely this is a house church that is meeting maybe about 20 people, and they're I'm trying to figure out, okay, we have heard that Jesus is the Christ, but like, what does that mean? And it's obvious too that this church is experiencing some fracturing and some people are, are leaving them because they have some different beliefs about who Jesus is. And so John is writing them, just giving them some instruction about what it means to continue to live out the gospel. And a word that comes up over and over and over again in John is love. In fact, I heard it described as a slinky that it just like keeps going around and around and around. And it's because I think we all need an understanding of not only God's love for us, but then what that means is we love other people. 
Because it's hard sometimes to live in community. It's hard to love each other. These are people who lived pretty close to the time of Jesus, and they're struggling with it. And John has to write them 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John to keep like, reminding them this is what it means to love each other. And so he writes here in 1st John chapter 3, starting in verse 11, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So this is kind of a heavy move right here at the beginning. Love one another and then... He switches to Cain, which they would have been familiar with, and you likely are too, that Cain uh, kills Abel right at the beginning of Genesis. And it's a little bit of a big move, I think, in my opinion, to be like, don't be like Cain, and then to bring Cain into t- like modern times to them, and then I think it's to us as well, be careful to not be like Cain. And to use Cain, I think, would be like us using Adolf Hitler or something. That's always like the bad example that like, you use to bash Republicans or Democrats, depending on which side you're on, and say, like, see, your leader is like Adolf Hitler. And this would have been similar. It's like, do not be like Cain. And everybody would have said, well, I'm not like Cain. Like, he, he murdered somebody. And that's sometimes how we can feel good about ourselves is, well, I didn't kill somebody, so I'm doing all right. You know, we can kind of go that route. But John just says, don't be like him. And it isn't just about murder in and of itself. It's being part of that way of thinking. Allowing yourself to go in murderous directions. This is very similar to what Jesus teaches when he says, I know, I know, I know. You guys are qualifying yourselves and saying that you're better than other people because you haven't killed someone. Congratulations. But... I'm going to challenge you. Yeah, Jesus did a mock clap, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I'm going to challenge you that you have to get a little deeper than that. Because when you have anger in your heart towards a brother or sister, work on that. Because that's really the root of the problems. This is similar to what John says here. Be careful. You all can end up in this Way And he uses this word that I think is fascinating. Um, He says that you can go, we have can pass from death to life when we love each other. That's a long uh, Greek word. If you'll go ahead and throw that up there for me, Simon. Um, It's metabemekamen. Anybody want to say that with me? Metabemekamen. Yeah, so you now are all Greek scholars. Congratulations. Uh, And what this word means, the word meta means change. The word Beno, the root for the second word there, is to, to literally go to a different place. And commend is, li- is an understanding of life. And so just very literally, it's like changing to a new place of life. And this is really interesting that he says, like, when you love each other, you can change to a new place of life. And generally, I think the Christian message that we have been taught sometimes is that you can go to a new life, you know, someplace down the road. If you check all the right boxes, if you're there for Wednesday night church, then you can get there. But what he's saying is when you love each other, you can move from death to life now. And that's powerful, isn't it? That when you love each other, as Jesus did, as Jesus does, you can move from death to life now. You can in. You can change to this new place and this new posture. 
But he's honest with them and he's honest with us that there's canes lurking inside all of us. That we have murderous thoughts. We can be jealous. We can slander. There's things that lurk inside all of us that if we really allowed them to grow and not check on them, can go to a dangerous place with your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your family members. There's canes lurking inside all of us. But what would it look like for you, for us, to metabemicamin? You, this is like great news. You have the potential to move from death to life, not just sometime when you die. Why would you continue to go in the path of Cain any longer? I love how Proverbs says this in a very graphic way. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. And I had a dog growing up, and I've seen this happen. And you're like, whoa, whoa, please don't. The dog is like, oh, I just ate this a few minutes ago. It looks pretty good still. You know, I just jump, jump right in. Oh, that's a little graphic for a Sunday morning, isn't it? <laughs> but this is similar. John's just basically saying, why would you continue in this? You have this murderous, you, yeah, you, you, how, how enjoyable is jealousy? Like, why would you stay there? Why would you continue? You have the potential. This is such amazing news. You have the potential to move from death to life, not just sometime far away, but right now you have the potential to move from death to life. So why would you stay in death any longer? We've talked several times in this series about how John, he, he writes about the eternal life. And we think of eternal life as the progressive commercial in the sky on the clouds. But what eternal life literally means is life that has no starting or end point. So you can enter into the eternal life now. You can participate more fully in that now. And what you're doing when you do that, when you metabemicamen, you actually practice for heaven. We've talked also in this series about the... the quote uh, from, from a, a theologian that says, everyone will get into heaven who can stand it. You can get into heaven, but if you're a racist, you're not going to like it there. Or if you haven't been generous with your stuff, and you're like clinging, and you're the one who wants to be God of all your stuff, and you never practice generosity, then you're not going to like a place where you just worship God, where God is at the center of things. Or if you're holding on to anger or things in your heart that you know you probably shouldn't, and one day you're not going to be able to hold that anymore, everybody can get into heaven who can stand it. But if you're practicing in certain ways, you're not going to like it very much. What John says is you can participate in the life that endures forever right now. And there are ways, I believe, that we can all experience it. One example, next week, the unity worship, when we are going to come together with churches from across Los Angeles, from different backgrounds, some different theologies are going to be represented in that room, and we can worship God together. And you know what it's going to look like? It's going to look like heaven. I love participating in the Ascensia meal that we do the second Sunday of the month that we get a chance to go serve at the shelter there. And typically we have enough people uh, who are in, in the back and serving that I get a chance to just go and sit with some people and just know if I'm ever there doing that, I'm not being lazy. I go and sit down and like talk with some of the people in the shelter, share a little bit about our church. But every time as I sit down there, I'm just moved by the fact that it's like a United Nations in there. People of different backgrounds, people of all different ways. 
Like, unfortunately, poverty isn't discriminating. Like, different people have different ways of falling into that. And for one thing, it's always a blessing to be at Ascensi because it makes me realize how blessed I am. I'm very thankful because it's only like one mistake or one thing happening that can sometimes get you uh, into that place. But secondly, it just feels like heaven to share a meal with some people who are struggling to get back on their feet. And we get a chance to just talk about life and talk about their hopes and dreams. It's always a blessing for me. It's something that every single month grounds me. And when you experience the love of God, when you try to love other people, you literally can metabemokamen. It's not something that happens just after you die. You can participate in the love and life of God now. But if we're honest, it's hard. It's hard to love people. It's hard to love people that you spend a lot of time around, right? This is why you have your biggest issues with your family or uh, your roommate when they drink your milk one too many times. It's hard to continue to have this posture. But John doesn't let us off the hook. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. So let's not leave this love thing vague, basically. He bears down in and says, this is what this looks like. That you would lay down your life just as Jesus did, and that you would have the kind of compassion that sees the needs of other people, that you enter in. That you don't withhold material possessions, but you give of what you have. And part of that, I think, is is creating a, a vulnerable community, a place where we can be honest with each other about what's going on. And that, I think, is increasingly uh, hard for us as we grow older. When I was in high school, I, I got the chance. I w- thought at that time I wanted to be a, a sports reporter, and that career only worked out for one story. That's another story. But uh, I was, got the opportunity to go to a Laker playoff game because the uh, editor of the newspaper said, I want to give you an experience of what it would look like for you to one day like, be in this place. And I was in there with my idols. Shaquille O'Neal walked in with just a towel and I'll always remember thinking, there's Shaq. This is unbelievable. I can't even, he's such a mass of humanity. And Kobe was there and Mark Madsen, a random reference, and all these people. And I'm just, just like standing there in awe and just thinking, there's Kobe. And I just have to pretend like I belong because I'm a reporter. I have a little daily news tag and I'm like writing on notes like, hmm, yeah, this will be in that story later that I never was writing. But as uh, I... And in there, I remember thinking, okay, act cool, you know, no crazy facial expressions. And you likely have had an experience like this if you lived in Los Angeles where you meet that one person and you don't want to be that crazy super fan. So you're like, all right, just play it cool, play it cool. The Jonas Brothers aren't that popular anymore. And whoever it is um, that, that you're, that you're uh, thinking about, and you just have that, that place of like, all right, I need to control myself and take it easy. And something that the theologian Dallas Willard says is that when you grow older, you learn how to control your facial muscles, and that's one of the major problems we have. You learn to, like, not show anybody that you have any needs. And unfortunately, I think 
church can sometimes be a place where we can fall into that pattern, where we just say, you know, I'm good, I'm good, don't worry about me. So part of this is the vulnerability in the community that we need to develop to sometimes raise your hand and say, I'm, I'm struggling here. Whatever it is, I need, I need some love, I need some extra care, I need some money, I need some groceries to let some of that go down a little bit. And we learn to control our face a little bit. When you give a kid a popsicle, it's like you gave them a million dollars, right? And they just like go unbelievable. And so we need as a community to understand that there's no shame in coming to a brother or sister sometime and saying, hey, I need a little help right here. Help me in this situation. But then the challenge that John gives us is if you see somebody who is in need and you don't show them love, Learn to give of yourself. What John, I think, is communicating is something that's really important for us to understand every once in a while, that at the heart of the Christian message is gift. That we come together, one of the reasons that I love Churches of Christ is that we celebrate communion every single week to remind ourselves that is truly, like that is the center of what we do because it is an ultimate gift for us that Jesus has laid down his life And that changes how we live. This is why scripture talks condemningly about whining or complaining. Those things simply can't exist in the Christian life. That our life is a gift. We see the the love of God as a gift that transforms us. And then we just basically come together and try to think, how can we show each other that? Each other in this community and people who are beyond our walls. Jesus came to lay down his life. All of a sudden, like you can't live the same way. Our gratitude spills over into everything that we do. We ought to get to a point that we can't control our facial muscles a little bit. That's kind of hard to say, but facial muscles. And we can't just hold it in and we can't live the same way. We can't hold bitterness in the same way. And if you're bitter at somebody and you're angry, like how long are you going to let that person have that control over your life? How long are you going to continue to give like space in your head to that person? What might it look like for you instead to love? And when we take our communion together, it's just once again centering ourselves on the fact that this life is a blessing and a gift. That every single week, I know I need a reminder, a fresh reminder of God's love for me. A fresh understanding of what God's grace means. And as a preacher or whoever it is that is doing communion that day, we try our best to talk about it, but we can never fully explain it. Because it's a pursuit that we continue to lean into every single day of our lives. And John says that at some point, you have to open yourself. At some point, it's not just about you. A verse I love in this passage is uh, verse 17. Here's a few different translations uh, of that verse. If someone has enough money uh, to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? The next one, whoever has earthly possessions and notices a brother in need and yet withholds his compassion from him, how can the love of God be present in him? But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? The good old King James Version. 
I had a, a friend in ministry who 20 years ago came to interview at a church, and uh, uh, he got a ride to an elder's house where he was staying. And when he got to the elder's house, the elder's wife came out and, like, introduced herself. But then she said, well, did you tell him? And he said, uh, the elder said, oh, no, no, we didn't, we didn't talk about it yet. And so she said, well, you should tell him. Like, you don't realize how much power elders' wives have. But, um, and then, then he said, well, my wife's trying to get me to tell you that we only use the King James Version at our church. So, uh, yeah, that was how it was 20 years ago, not that long ago. Then I don't know how people did that exactly. But actually, the reason why I showed you the King James in this one, this case, is because it actually illustrates what is being said in the Greek. Because the Greek uh, uses uh, the word splagnon, if you want to throw that up there. And the word splagnon, it means literally bowels or intestines. Here are the three different ways. Uh, bowels, the bowels are regarded as the seat of more violent passions, such as anger or love. But by the Hebrews, is the seat of tender affections, especially kindness, benevolence, compassion, hence our heart. Um, and then third, a heart in which mercy uh, resides. So it sounds a little bit gruff coming through in the King James that if you shutteth up your bowels, like that doesn't really sound uh, all, that, all that helpful. Um, sounds like a problem you need to work with a doctor on, perhaps. But, um, so just, just turn, turn to somebody near you. It doesn't have to be a spouse or anything, but someone that you, that you love near you and just say, my bowels are on fire for you. Just go ahead. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a little weird. It, sound, it sounds a little bit strange um, to, to us. Uh, but in, in some ways, it makes a lot of sense, even the ways that, that, we, that we might use that word. Uh, for example, we would perhaps say about someone that just drives you crazy, I hate his guts, right? You, you might say it to, to that level. It's not just like, I hate his aura, like even the insides of him, like I just cannot stand that person. Or if you're trying to make a really hard decision, you might say, I, um, I'm just following my gut on this one. You know, I, have, I have a gut instinct that I'm following. So we still have a bit of an understanding of it. And I think a way that we might understand this in, in more modern language, uh, perhaps, is just the heart. Because that's where we understand, you know, the kind of emotions come from and, and where uh, actions pour out of. And so let me just try it that way, to say that the writer is saying, who is it that you're shutting your heart towards? And I think if we're honest, we have some people that we could go there with. And maybe it's not somebody who you need to give material possessions to, but maybe it's just to show somebody some love and compassion. Who is it that you're shutting your heart toward? What John is saying here is that if your heart is shut towards this person, how can the love of God dwell in you? And if you're going to say that you're a Christian, you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. How can the love of God, how can you not say, all I've done, I've just received this gift, and it stops with me? What would it look like for you to open your heart? And it's beautiful, I believe, when that happens. When in Christian community, we open our hearts to each other. When we spend time getting to know each other, when we spend time in community to a point that we know what's going on, 
It's like our, our bowels start to connect. Our hearts start to connect. Mandy and I were just on, on vacation a couple weeks ago, and I sent this picture out in an email, but I got to see Nick and Marilyn Blackburn, who uh, were part of our church for about 40 years, and they moved to Colorado Springs. And Mandy and I uh, drove a couple hours out of the way to go see them, and when you're driving with kids, that's like eight hours, I think. But the reason that, that we did that, and it was on vacation time, is because my heart misses Nick and Marilyn. And all of us, I think we can take for granted just what it is that we have here as a Christian community. Especially a, a community that's a, a small community where we actually know each other. And so for Nick and Marilyn, it's like we drove a couple hours out of the way because it did our hearts good to spend time with them. And it's because I got the chance to be with Marilyn as she was going through cancer. They brought us meals when we had our kids. With Nick, we unclogged several toilets. Well, mostly he did the unclogging, and I'm a preacher. I don't really do that stuff, but... I'm not very good with my hands. They were always there cleaning up after things that we did. So I got to spend a lot of time with them. We were committed to each other. And my heart hurts missing them, right? And I hope that we all would learn to show this kind of love to each other. That we would learn to have a certain bit of, of commitment and sacrifice. A Christian community is, is hard. It's difficult. and It's going to be tough at times. But when we come together, what's beautiful about communion and the table of God is that you don't get to choose who's around it. And if you're honest, if you're on your own, you can love people that are just like you pretty easily. And I think First John in general, like if, if people in, in 2018 who had no context for Scripture or anything, if they were to read it, there'd be a lot that people would say, yeah, that's awesome, what a great ideal. And I think generally today we have some good concepts and some ideals like, oh yeah, we should love everybody and be really tolerant. I'm not saying those things are bad. But the problem about loving everyone everywhere is you don't love anyone anywhere. You don't love like a real, actual, live human being. Because being in community and being in these situations and, and rubbing up against each other, it's going to cause friction at times. There's going to be things that are hard. It's hard to live out the ideals that John writes to these people about. You'd think just like 30 years after Jesus, they would have had this thing figured out. But John just says, no, 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 you've got to refocus, recenter. This is what you are supposed to be about. All of us are created in the image of God. And that means that even your neighbor is. The person sitting next to you is. John doesn't leave it as just an ideal. He, he drills down and says, we need to love each other as Jesus did. And is there somebody 
who your heart is shut towards. Because the thing about it is that person might not even notice. They might not even know. You might be like super angry at them and they don't even know. And it's killing you on the inside and you're just like perseverating on it and just it's just shut and you're so angry. And who does that actually do harm to, right? John says, open up your bowels, which is a weird way to say it. But open up your heart. Open up your heart to God's spirit and presence. And this is stuff that's so hard. It's difficult. And forgiveness, I believe, is a process that maybe there's somebody who you need to forgive in your life and you leave today just wanting to kill them a little bit less. And that's great because we all have the spirit of Cain inside of us. And it's not just like a little thing, oh, it's just an emotion that's going to go away. John is saying these murderous thoughts, these things, they live inside of us, and they ultimately can be counter to what Jesus is doing in the world. So may we be open to God's spirit and presence. Philip is going to come down now and uh, start to play a song that we all uh, are, are familiar with, one that's an old classic hymn, one of the best ones I know of, It Is Well With My Soul. And what we do is we sing songs like this together. We're all coming at different places and at different times. We have different fears and different anxieties, things that are going on uh, in our hearts. And as we understand this, as we are at different spaces in our hearts and in our lives, we sing, it is well with my soul to remind ourselves of the God who's with us at all times. We need God's spirit and presence to flow through us. The love of God, the grace of God to change us. I want us to stand together and there's a prayer that I have from a book called Prayers for Today. Let's say this together. Oh God, Let something essential happen to me, something more than entertaining or thoughtful or helpful. Let something essential happen to me. Speak to me, Lord, and change me somewhere inside where it matters. Let something happen within my real self, oh God. What is it that God needs to do in you? Is it to change you to more of a person of gratitude? Is it for you to forgive somebody to start that process. There may be something that you know right away you need God's spirit and help in doing, and that's probably the thing that you need to start with. This song reminds us that even as storms and and billows roll, God is with us, and we remind ourselves of that as we sing together. God, we need your spirit. We need you to convict us. We need you to act in our midst. May you continue to work on our hearts and to call us into the people that we're meant to be. Father, may we not shut our hearts, but love like you do. In Jesus' name I pray.
Let's sing together.